Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. First Timothy chapter 1, it's a pastoral epistle. That means it's written for pastors. It was written about 65 A.D., and Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, has given Timothy instructions for life in the ministry. And the first chapter falls under the subject regarding faith. What is interesting about the book of 1 Timothy is that it is written in a very unique way. It's six chapters. Throughout those six chapters, the entirety of the book, we see 12 charges. And it's not a charge in the sense of uh, a, guilt, a, a bad thing, a negative thing. A, you know, you're guilty as charged. It's not that type of charge. It's a charge in the positive sense. If you've ever been put in charge of anything, young people, your parents ever give you something? Hey, you're in charge of this. They kind of give you that as a positive thing. In other words, hey, you're, you have to take care of it. So Paul's writing to Timothy and he's saying, hey, look, you're going to have to take care of some things. And here are the charges that I'm going to give you. You think of um, you hear what would be the word that would come to your mind after this sound? Da -da 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 -da. Charge, right? It's you know what comes next. That's a positive thing. And where does that tune come from? It's a military tune. It's it's the marching orders have been given, you know, the. The sound is distinctive. We have been given orders, charge. Here's what we have to take care of. And Paul is writing under the Spirit's inspiration to charge Timothy with some very serious things. And the first thing that we're going to learn, well, let's read a few verses and then we'll get into it. Uh, first, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we're asking you to help us as we open up your word. Help us to get an understanding of, of this book, of the Bible, as we go verse by verse. Help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul, verse number one, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's an important, because there's apostles that uh, aren't of Christ that would claim apostleship that don't meet the requirements for apostleship. And if you hear somebody say, we have an apostolic ministry, I would be very cautious because the apostolic ministry, that person doesn't meet the requirements. They didn't walk the earth with Christ. They weren't a witness to the resurrection. And so there is that point number one. By the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, and it's important here to say, to say this, Paul is doing something by God's command. In the book of Colossians, we see that he's doing something by the will of God. And if you're going to be of Jesus Christ and do something for Jesus Christ in the ministry, it has to be by some specifics. It has to be by the will of God. And it has to be by the commandment of God. 
Look at Romans chapter 1. We'll see something else. We went verse by verse through this a while back when we started. We're just going to look at the first verse in Romans 1. 1 Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. If you're going to do something, it better be by the will of God. It better be by the commandment of God. It better be by the call of God. People are called in the Bible. People are appointed in the Bible. Congregations of people that are assembling together see evidence. It's very clearly evidenced by God's people of the call of God on someone's life or the person is living their life in the will of God. And in our day in the ministry, we have gotten away from the call of God, the appointment of God, the will of God, the commandment of God. We've gotten a lot into these doctrines of church polity that don't have anything to do with doctrine or the Bible. How do you know someone's going by the commandment of God, by the will of God, and has the call of God? I think Romans 1.1 gives us the clear answer. What is Paul? A servant. A servant. This may be a pastoral epistle, but I think all of us can get some help. Just be a servant. Wherever God has you, serve. And if it's vacuuming, serve vacuuming. If it's cleaning, there's so many things that have to be done in a local body. Just serve. I just want to live my life in the will of God, someone would ask. Okay, tell me how you're serving. Well, I'm not. Let's find a place for you to serve and a discussion. That's the first step. Serve. And if all we are doing is thinking about how we are going to get served, we've got it backwards. That's not the command of God. That's not the will of God. That's not the calling of God. serve. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. It says, uh, also, we talked about giving, there's marching commands here, by the commandment, commands are okay. You're going to be in charge of something, you're going to have to make some commands. Don't be harsh with people, but last phrase in verse number 1, it says, which is our hope? Hope manifests itself in faith, which is what this introductory section in 1 Timothy is about. We're going to start seeing that faith theme come up. Now, remember, it's fresh in our minds, Romans chapter 8. Remember, we talked about being saved by hope, and we explained how that hope isn't a maybe-so hope. We have trust that God will fulfill his promise, and so it's a no-so hope. And it's the same idea here, by the commandment of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. It's the confidence that God's people have. That would be you, that would be me. 
that God would fulfill his promises. Did, does the Bible say that the gates of hell won't prevail against his church? Pay attention. Is that what the Bible says? Okay. Do you, do you have confidence that God is going to fulfill that promise? I do. I do. Even when things look bleak. Some people will say, I remember, I remember years back, I was working, was at a tournament, I forget where I was at, but, uh, you know, we pray before the tournament and then uh, typically someone that's a Christian that's there will come up and say, man, I appreciate the prayer. Never, never heard that before in a, in, in a secular uh, event. And we get to talking and it was a good conversation. So he said, yeah, look, I got a friend who... Um, has a has a question for you and he says he starts talking to me about church and he says uh yeah i don't i don't go to church anywhere well first he was telling me he was a christian so i said you know how'd you get saved starts giving me his testimony sound like the man was saved he says but i don't go to church anywhere because the church is just apostate he said there's there's no good churches he said um the church it's all hypocrites it's all and he's really slamming the church so I said, hey, do you believe God's word? Do you believe what he promises in his word? He said, yeah, I do. I said, well, he said, and I told him, the gates of Jesus himself said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And it got him thinking. He really took it to heart. I said, you know, you cannot go to church and disobey God's clear principled command to not forsake the assembly. You can do that. You're disobeying the Bible because you don't like God's people. Well, God's people don't like what you're doing either. I said, you see the problem? Everybody keeps keeps this banter up with each other. Guy says there's no good churches as he forsakes assembling with the church. As he, as he finds something wrong with a church, he disobeys something that the church should be doing. Okay? God promised, and that's my hope, the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. This introductory section will be about hope. Look at verse number two under Timothy. My own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul led Timothy to the Lord. He won him to the Lord. And Paul is writing... To Timothy. Okay. This might go against Robert's rule of law. This might go against the church covenant or constitutions or the bylaws or the 501c3s and all that stuff that we say. Oh, finally, we have an official church. Except if you use that argument, then you would have to say all of the people meeting in Africa don't really have a church. Because they don't have any of that. All of the people in countries that don't have a government set up like our government that are meeting together, you would have to then therefore say, well, that's not a church. You know how a church is formed? A pastor's appointed. A pastor's called. Okay, so Paul, he wins Timothy to the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. You know what Timothy's doing with Paul? 
He is ministering alongside of Paul. He is ministering for Paul. He is ministering to Paul. He is ministering with Paul for like a decade. They're in Ephesus. Paul says, this is what you've got to do when you pastor this church. And the entire book is filled with charges given to Timothy. That's a church. That's a church. Timothy is with Paul in Macedonia. He's with him in Thessalonica. He's with, he's with him in Ephesus. He's with him in Troas. He's with Paul when he's imprisoned in Rome. And now he's pastoring the believers at Ephesus. And Paul tells them, you're going to stay here and you are going to pastor these people. You're going to minister to these saints. And I'm going. I'm going to Macedonia. And the main thing that he gives them, the first charge that he's going to give them is concerning doctrine. If you want to build a big organization today, if you want to build a big social club, if you want to build a big campus, don't worry about doctrine. Now, I just heard a sermon that somebody sent me uh, on alcohol and, you know, Real slick guy, you know, he's got the perfect hair, the perfect smile, the perfect complexion, the perfect tan, you know, the, 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 the perfect cut of everything, you know, the stage is right and all that. And his first point about alcohol is everybody has to know drinking alcohol is not a sin. That was his first point in the entire, in, in the message. Young people, if you ever get into, invited to a youth group that might be a group of youths getting together, and you ever see a, if you ever hear a youth pastor or any pastor say that drinking alcohol is not a sin, leave. Text your parents and have them come and get you. That's not good doctrine. That's not sound doctrine. That's not Bible doctrine. That's a preacher who's afraid to either A, get voted out, B, he'll lose his job so he doesn't have a free parsonage to live in anymore, C, his wife will let him have it because she's drinking a little vino on the side, <laughs> or he doesn't want to upset all the parents who are putting money in the plate who are going to take their kids out of there. Doctrine matters. Look at, the, look at um, verse number 10 in 1 Timothy. The very end of the verse. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. He is warning Timothy, you've got to be careful of this stuff. In 1 Timothy chapter number 4, look at verse number 1. The Bible says in the middle of the verse, Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and what? Doctrines of what? Devils. Look at verse number six. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good what? Doctrine. Now, young people, I know that this isn't a youth rally. I know that this every week isn't a vacation. You know, it's not vacation Bible school every week. I realize that there is a level of I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen to a preacher go through the Bible 
and I've got to follow along in the Bible. But God says, hey, that's what a good minister is. How many of you young people sit down and color? Do we have any colorers? Can I get a witness? Okay, amen. You sit down and you color. It's quiet. And you're doing a monotonous exercise over and over. But you're interested in it. You don't need Pretzels the Clown doing jumping jacks and making balloon sculpturing for you, right? Because you enjoy the coloring book. How many of you read? Okay, well, you're we're full of homeschoolers then. Nobody gets to read. Yeah, yeah. Do you read? Do you read? Do you kids read? You, read? you know how to read? Okay. <laughs> you know how to read. Good. Look. You sit down. If somebody was looking at you read, they say, well, that's kind of boring. The kid's just sitting there. But if you're interested in the content of the book, what do you do? You keep reading because you want to see what happens at the end of the mystery, right? Man, did he hide the treasure here? Did he hide the treasure there, right? You're interested in it. Doctrine, if you're interested in the Bible, you can listen to preaching and you can get something out of it. God says, that is what a good minister does. Paul charges Timothy, don't get away from that. You don't have to turn for the sake of time, but verse number 16 in 1 Timothy 4 talks about um, you need to meditate, give yourself holy, take heed unto doctrine. It also talks about when you give attendance to doctrine, it sets an example for the believers. This is why it is so important, because a precedence is set, an example is set. Your preacher doesn't need to know everything. Don't expect me to know everything. We have an all-wise God who has all wisdom. Amen. You should expect your preacher to be in the Word. Amen. There's going to be times where we're going to get in the Word, and you're going to say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't know if I read it that way. I don't know if I see it that way. I'm not sure if I agree with that. You know, that's not a bad thing. That gets you chewing, that gets you digging, that gets you thinking. And you might show me something. You teach martial arts. I did that for, man, years and years and years. And I never, I made a habit of never dismissing the white belt. Because the instructors, they don't really want to spar with the white belts because they're just spazzes, quite honestly. They're just spazzes. They don't know enough technique, so they what they make up for in technique, they just try to make up for in just brute strength and brute, brute force. But every now and then, if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss it. But every now and then, you get a white belt that'll do something, and you'll think to yourself, huh, that's pretty good. I never thought of that. Either did he until you pointed out, hey, you just did something that's pretty good. Really? you got to make sure you're digging in this book. It don't matter if you're a white belt in the Bible, you just got saved last week, or you consider yourself an advanced student. Right. <laughs> you better keep digging in this book. That's where you're going to find doctrine. We see in uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 5, talks about the importance of laboring in the word and in doctrine. Um. Now, this might be hard to understand if you're, well, I'll bring my personal life into it, but I will for a minute. Uh, 
you know, my wife's used to seeing me in a very active lifestyle. Exercising, martial arts, training, compete, all, all, all that, instructing. There's a lot of labor in that. And you say, oh, man, yeah, man he, yeah, he's working hard. He's working hard. But if you see somebody sitting down at a desk, opening up the word and studying it, it's very, very easy to assume, oh, that, guy, that guy's just lazy. He has a desk job. Except he reads a verse and then 15 minutes later the paper's wet because tears have been falling into the paper because he's got somebody on his mind. He's got a situation that's happening and he's trying to unpack it without blowing the thing up. And then, you know, believe me, it's labor. It's labor. But you might think, Oh, yeah, man, the guy chopping trees and splitting wood. Man, he's really laboring. You know what Paul told Timothy? You're going to have to labor in doctrine. You're going to have to. And that's what our church should strive to do. I believe that we are. Finally, it talks about that God's doctrine should not be blasphemed. There's a warning in the last chapter. It also talks, finally, the last time we see doctrine in 1 Timothy, it talks about it must be doctrine according to godliness. And that is not a bad word. That is a biblical word. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen should be seeking and striving to live godly lives. <coughs> Paul's day. Excuse me. And in Timothy's day, they were dealing with Gnosticism. Gnostics were know-it-alls. It means to know. They were teaching other doctrines. Now, we have Gnostics nowadays. It's the know-it-alls. They, they know everything. Um, I'll explain to you a little bit more in, in Gnosticism for a minute, but every church has the, I'm the smartest gal in the room, I'm the smartest guy in the room. It don't matter what you're talking about. They've got a truth that nobody else has. And knowledge does what? Right? Mm -hmm. But do you want to know things? Mm -hmm. Do you want to know things? I want to know things. Where does our knowledge come from? What's the source? Above. Mm -hmm. So Paul and Timothy are dealing with these Gnostics. They believed in getting special mystical knowledge for salvation. They believed in two types of God, the great God and the lesser God. The great God they considered to be perfect but unknowable. The lesser God, they believe, created the universe, but he messed up, and so now we have sin in the world. This was Gnosticism. This still is Gnosticism. So they concluded mankind is still made with a hint of the spirit of the great God. So really, we're a good person just trapped inside a flesh that is fallen because of sin. And so the Gnostic message 
that they came up with was one of self-redemption, not one of gospel-centered Christ-redemption. Jeremiah 17, the heart is what? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Gnosticism was the pursuit of goodness that seeked man as the center, man as the purpose. And so they didn't believe that we needed to be regenerated by Christ. Okay, verse 3. 1 Timothy, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other what? Doctrine. Paul leaves and goes to Macedonia. Timothy is preaching, and he's got a Gnostic that walks into the church house, this church assembly. Now, if you don't know what a Gnostic believes, and you don't know how to handle what a Gnostic believes, guess what could happen in six months to nine months to a year if Timothy doesn't squash Gnostics? You're going to end up having a church that's going to start being persuaded by the Gnostic belief. And they're going to end up being persuaded that self can redeem rather than only Christ can redeem. Do you see why doctrine is so important? Mm -hmm. The preacher isn't trying to be mean. The preacher is trying to follow the charge given by Paul under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. And Timothy's trying to obey God. Look at verse number four. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Every culture group, every religious group, probably every family has some fables. The Jewish leaders had a host of them. And they were all very, very important to them. They were so important that they were incorporated into the church. And this is where people's feelings get hurt. Let's use food as an example. We have Mexicans, Italians, Southerners, and probably a, a variety of other uh, ethnic groups that all have different food that they enjoy based on their culture. One fellowship, you might have an Italian meal. Another fellowship, you might have a Southern meal. Another fellowship, you might have a Mexican meal. Another fellowship, you might just have a down-home American meal. You know, they're the best kind, full of saturated fat and oil and grease. And, and everybody has something. But the minute you start bringing into the equation, well, Christians should only eat and if you don't eat this, then you're not really truly a Christian. If you don't 
Does that happen in the churches? It does happen in churches. I remember being in a church where the lady left because she found out that some of the other mothers weren't breastfeeding. They were feeding formula to their children, and she just couldn't get over how a Christian could do that to her child. You say that really happened? Yeah, yeah, it really happened. Why? Because somebody has to be the Gnostic know-it-all. That's why it happens. And you create a fable. If that's what you want to do, help yourself. I don't care. Don't tell me. And if that's what you want to do, have at it. Have at it. It shouldn't be something that divides people. Organic food. Well, are your Mexican burritos organic? No. They're full of everything bad for us. That's why we eat them. They taste good. <laughs> Parents bring their kids to a church fellowship, and all the kids are eating chips and drinking soda and having hot dogs, and the poor kid's sitting there because mama won't let him have any chips, so he has to drink, you know, he, he turns into soy boy by the time he's six. <laughs> And he's got to drink filtered water and he has to have organic hot dogs. You say, does that really happen? Yes, that really happened. Do you know people that? Yes, I know people. And they have left church because the church didn't serve coconut water. They served high sea. It's a fable. It's a foolish fable. It's foolishness. And if you're going to get into ministry, you're going to have to be able to deal with these fables. And it's going to come around every three or four months. Because in, in December, it's going to be, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He's going right out of this lane. <laughs> He's not showing up here. And if he shows up in front of a big mega church and, and the preacher pulls up and wants to know why you've got a fable that you're telling the children, the preacher that shows up and calls them out isn't a bad guy no matter what they say. <laughs> why do you need Santa to draw kids in for Christ? Answer, you don't. But you know what you got on December 25th? You got a big payday. You got a big payday. Because preacher's going to the Bahamas. He's getting paid. Now, not everybody. Not everybody. But I'd submit to you, churches try to draw more people with the Easter bunny and a romance dance than they do with good doctrine. You're going to celebrate some fornicating pagan sex god on February 14th, and you're going to have the kids come and have a romance dance. Sent my older two to the Christian school, and they want to do these flowers they're going to give to each other. So I'm not giving you money to buy a flower for somebody. Well, if we get white, it's a friendship flower. It's only red means love. Okay, well, here's $3. Buy me and mom one. Dad, you just don't understand. No, I understand. They don't understand. 
fables. Fables all in the name of fun. You got to be careful of those things. Paul, he was brought up with this. He understood Gnosticism. He understood Jewish tradition for sure. And he knew what would draw the people's minds off of Christ. And when you mix fables with Christianity, that's always been a distraction. You run the history of a lot of these fables of holidays, you'll see that they were just mixed into Christianity for the sake of numbers and for the sake of converting so that the Roman Catholic Church can usher in new converts. The real question is, what's your motive? Are you trying to promote a tradition, a philosophy, a superstition above the Word of God? There are some very, very good traditions. Our sending church has a few of them. One of them is there's a tradition every Friday afternoon. Somebody's going to be downtown on the square. That's a good tradition. Amen. We have some traditions here. You may have come from churches. They have some good traditions. We have a, a Lord's Supper on the last Sunday of the month. That's a tradition. Uh, the, the, the distinction isn't traditions are bad and non-traditions are, are, are you want to be... The, the distinction is, what's the motive and philosophy behind the tradition? Does it line up with Scripture or not? Timothy needs to take heed to this. Go to Colossians chapter number 2. Go back there. There we go. Colossians chapter number 2. <coughs> You've got Baptists. One, okay. Anybody here grew up Roman Catholic? Okay. All right. So Roman Catholics have a lot of fables. They have a lot of tradition. They put a lot of stock in church tradition. Baptists, on the other hand, will call out the Catholics on some things, and rightfully so. They got some things messed up. When at the same time, the Baptists, some Baptists will hold on to their traditions that you can't find anywhere in the Bible as they beat up on the Roman Catholics. Now, I would say that is not being as Baptist as we claim to be. A true Baptist says this. B, the Bible's our final authority. That's the, you go through the acronym, BAP, we won't go all through it tonight, but B, the Bible's the final authority. And if something doesn't line up with the bar, Bible, we throw that philosophy or tradition out. It goes. It goes. In the book of Exodus and Leviticus, we had holy garments, they had holy places, they had holy things, they had holy gifts, they had holy vessels, they had holy arks. All of them were considered holy. What do we have? We got a book to believe. That's going to give us everything we need to know. Amen. Now watch what Colossians 2 says in verse number 16. By him were all things created. That are in heaven, that are in earth. 
visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Except I'm in Colossians 1. I am sorry. Good verse, but... Chapter 2, Colossians 2. Look at verse number 16. Okay, let this is right. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. No more of this holy garment stuff. No more of this holy place stuff. No more holy days because you're in Christ. So if you want to make one day above another day, have at it. But if somebody else doesn't make one day another day and they say all the days are like, it don't matter. There's no holy days. Right. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worship of angels, introducing into those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world, all those holy things, they're not holy. Why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, Handle not, which are all to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. You know what you have that's holy? You got a holy Bible. That's what you've got that's holy. You've got a holy God that gave you the Holy Spirit to live in you. And you know what the Spirit says to you? The same thing he says to me. Be holy as I am holy. That's right. Well, the Spirit just told me. Well, if he told you and he didn't tell me, then there's probably something wrong here. Does he lead us into different ministries? Yes. Are those ministries found in the Bible? Okay, then it's the same spirit, okay? They've all got different gifts. They all look, so we understand all that. But the Jews were putting a lot of stock in genealogies. Well, that's the Jews. Dare I say it's the South, too. Dare I say there are a lot of churches that are run. Up north, we call it the mafia, the mafia family. You don't want to go live in Patterson, New Jersey. It's a horrible place. Now, my pop-up had an Italian bakery there. And the mafia, he finally took his family when he had enough money, and he moved out of North Jersey because the mafia was in every Italian bakery, basically every business back then, getting a cut. 
you got the mafia family running the things. You know what they did? They, they left. They left. They lived in apartments. My mom is in apartment one. You just, just go up like three, four apartments. One, one guy, I won't mention the name on, on live stream, but one of the, uh, they call them rats. You rat out the family. You basically get a hit on your life. So one of them was, grew up right in the apartment where my, my mom grew up and he's under witness protection, if he's still alive, to, to this day. Because he ratted out the family. It means a lot to him. To the Jews, the genealogy meant a lot to him because if you're a Jew and you can face the, trace that lineage, well, look, you could say, look, I'm a Jew, you're not, so I'm better. You got a lot of churches down south. You know what's run by? The Baptist Mafia family. It's one family that runs it. It's two families that run it. And it ought not be so. And the doctrinal statement stands there, and you would read it and probably agree with it, but behind the scenes, how things play out and the polity of that thing, it's bad news, not Christian. So they hold on to that genealogy, that legacy of family. God help us. God help us if we turn into that. So they pile up these strict records over time, and they become endless. And it's the most important thing to them. Do you have Christ? Do you have Christ? Do I have Christ? There's no reason to separate. It doesn't matter if you're from Georgia or California or Tennessee or New Jersey. Those things should not separate because we're in Christ. And the two closing points in Romans 8, you've got no condemnation, first verse. Last verse, you've got no separation. And in between is all about how the Holy Spirit helps us all out. All this genealogy and fable stuff is nonsense. And Paul tells Timothy, don't get into that squash it because your blood birth means nothing it doesn't you might talk different you get a kid from the west coast you get a kid from the east coast you get a kid from the south you're going to have all types of levels of twang <laughs> you better not let that separate you There's no separation in Christ. You start doing that stuff, that's the genealogy stuff. Don't do it. We, well, 1 Peter 2, let's read it and then we'll close out. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 5. Uh, verse number 3, If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted that? Hey. Hey, man, that's a good southern twang. <laughs> to whom coming as unto a lively stone. You ever see a stone with eyes and a nose and a heart and a 
No, because that's not what the stone is. Disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also, as lively stones, are built up and what type of house? Spiritual house. You know what else that you got that's holy? A holy priesthood. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? We have the same priesthood. To offer up what type of sacrifices? Spiritual, that's right. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You can have all the fables and genealogies that you want. First Timothy tells tell us, you better have faith in what God says. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'll leave you with this thought and we're done. Do fables and genealogies minister? Yes, they do. Huh? Well, wait a minute. Does faith minister? Yes. Well, wait, you said both of them do. They do. Both of them minister. Fables and genealogies minister questions and questions and questions and questions and questions and questions. It ministers. You know what faith ministers to? We can finally get some edification. Both will minister to people. We don't want to have an endless line of fables, an endless line of genealogy. All it's going to do is just that circle of questions. But we've got something better. Faith. It ministers to godly edifying. <music> Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.